Well, as you are probably aware of by now, um, today is the start of a brand new series called The Body. Um, and, and so as I've mentioned in previous weeks, this is a series that is going to be all about the church. Okay, What is the church? What is the purpose of the church? How do we operate within the church? What does all of this mean so that we can move forward and, and properly be the church? Right. And so this is going to take us through the next 10 weeks. So put it on your calendars. Next 10 weeks, this is what we're going to be talking about. And this will lead us right into Christmas. Okay. So it's a pretty lengthy series, but there's so much to cover. We have to make sure we dig into this and get everything we can out of it, okay? Um, and, and even though I have been kind of building this up and hyping it up over the last few weeks as best I can, the more and more I dig into this, the more and more I kind of line out what we're going to be talking about, the more and more excited I'm getting, because I really do think um, you guys are going to love this and get so much out of it. So I'm excited to jump into it today. I hope you will join me in that endeavor. Um, but before we do that, I wanted to just cover a few quick things with you uh, to help you understand how we're going to try and present this series just to kind of level set expectations here from the very beginning. So this series is going to be a little bit different um, from what we typically do in terms of our format and our approach. And all I mean by that is typically um, each week we like our sermons to be pretty consistent from week to week. So you may have noticed we have two to three points. We have some scripture, some sort of application. We like to keep it consistent so you know what to count on. Um, but through this series, it, it might be a little bit different just because there are certain aspects of this conversation that require more than just a few points. They require a little bit more scripture sometimes. Uh, a good example of that would be when we talk about what the true marks of a church really are, okay? Uh, that is a very in-depth conversation, many more than just three points, a lot of scripture to back that up. Same uh, for spiritual gifts, okay? That's a pretty in-depth conversation. And so you'll see that vary from week to week. The one thing that I am certain uh, will be consistent is that we can all learn a great deal over the next 10 weeks and, and really make sure we are properly doing what we need to do as God's church, okay? So be prepared for the differences in approach. Um, and, and hey, I, I think the good thing is you're not gonna know what to expect. It'll be fresh, new, and exciting. So um, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. One other side note before we get into this, um, I think this will hopefully help us understand how significant this topic can be. But um, I want you to know that uh, applying and understanding what the church really is, which we're about to jump into today, um, that holds with it many distinctions that make us who we are and what we believe, okay? Many distinctions that separate us from other beliefs or, or other establishments, um, some of which may even call themselves Christians, okay? And I don't say that as a point of argument or dissension. It's just a matter of identification, okay? And so I want you to understand that this is not just information to take in, but this defines us for who we are and what our perspective should be as we move forward. In other words, I think this is a lot deeper than you may expect at the surface. And so I wanna challenge you to dig into this and really understand the real significance of how this should play out in our lives, okay? Now, even that will vary a little bit from point to point or from week to week, okay? Even today, you'll see some points that are a little bit more high level, more informative, other points that hold pretty heavy implications that we need to understand. But either way, I wanna make sure we're intentional about applying it to our lives, okay? That is very, very 
important, okay? So before we get into this, if you would stand with me one last time. Before we start today's message, I wanted to just pray uh, all together as a congregation. I think that would be really fitting as we head into this series on the church. And I would just ask that um, you pray for God's direction and his guidance throughout this series, um, that his purpose would be fulfilled in it, and, and that ultimately at the end of these 10 weeks, um, that we are better equipped and better prepared than ever to truly be his church and to fulfill the purpose he's called us out for, okay? So can we pray that together? If you could close your eyes and bow your heads. Heavenly Father, we come to you today as your uh, obedient, humble children who are ready to, to serve you with everything that we have. I just ask that your will would be done throughout every piece and part of this series, uh, that you would speak through each and every person that gets up here and tries to proclaim your gospel. And I pray that you would open up every heart and every mind, whether they are in this building or whether they're listening via podcast, that you would open up their eyes and, and their hearts to really receive what this really means for our lives and how we are to move forward. God, equip us and prepare us for the beautiful, exciting future that you've set out for us as your church. And we pray it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. All right, you can go ahead and take a seat. All right, well, let's get started. Um, the first question that you might have as it relates to this series is, why is a series on the church titled The Body? Okay, why does that make sense? What's the application there? And actually, you're gonna have to wait one more week to find that out um, because next week we are going to get into the different metaphors that scripture uses to explain the church. And that's where our title comes into play. So make sure you come back next week and we'll figure that one out together. But here's where I really wanna start today. This is the question that is ultimately our jumping off point for the series. And that question is, what is the church? Okay, let's just put it frankly, what is the church? Now that seems like a very simple question, right? And in fact, has a pretty simple answer, but here's the issue with this that we first need to discuss, okay? Now I would venture to say that most of us have heard the word church for most of our lives, right? Whether we were a part of one or not, we've heard that word before, we've stuffed it somewhere in our brains. But while all of us have probably heard that word, I would say very few of us actually know what it is, okay? Very few. And just for the record, I would be included in that grouping, okay? I, I grew up in church my entire life, and it wasn't until much later through scripture that I realized what the church actually is. And I think that's many people's story and perspective around this subject, okay? Um, in fact, uh, I think the word church has kind of almost become taboo, right? Like when you say the word church or you hear the word church, people get kind of you know, squirmy and uncomfortable, right? And it all revolves around the fact that, that it's really a lack of understanding around what it is, okay? And so then here's the next stage of that issue. Because it's something that very few people understand, what we've done is we've accepted all of these preconceived notions of what we think it is, right? Based off of what we've heard, what we've seen, and in many cases, what we've experienced. And so we came into it not knowing what it was. And then we formed these beliefs based off of our experience of what broken people many times have turned it into, 
okay? And so we've compounded issues and, and a lack of perspective around the viewpoint of church that God never created or intended it to be, okay? So the first thing that we need to do, and I'm gonna ask you to do this, is to go ahead and knock down those walls that you've previously built up, to try to forget of what you previously thought church was so that we can step into this with a new and fresh perspective, okay? That's what I wanna ask you to do. Start like the disciples did in Acts 2, where you read, they're just eagerly awaiting for God to roll out his plan and his purpose. And I think if we take that approach and we have that type of open-minded perspective, I really do think this could be a game-changing series for us as the church. I mentioned this before, this is gonna take us into the new year. And if we come together like never before and really understand our purpose and why we exist, then there's nothing that can stop us from fulfilling that purpose, okay? So this is important. Let's knock down those walls. Let's come into this with an open mind, all right? So back to the original question that I posed, which is simply, what is the church, okay? And here's that simple answer that I promised you. The church is simply the community of all true believers for all time, okay? The community of all true believers for all time. That's what the church is. That's what it looks like, okay? Now, before we get into uh, scriptural support for that, which is obviously important, let me first make it clear what the implication of that is, because I think it's very important for us to understand, okay? So let's make this clear. That means that the church is not this building, okay? That means that the church is not any number of buildings that you drive by with a steeple on top, okay? That's not the church. That also means that the church in its truest form is not just the people in this room, right? It's not just the bridge church. It's all true believers for all time, okay? And this is very important to understand because that means while yes, we believe we've been called as the bridge church to fulfill a purpose and to bring people to Christ as effectively as we can, we need to understand that Christ's church goes well beyond that. It goes well beyond. And that should open up doors that have previously been shut in the past where we had churches competing for members, right? Or we have denominations arguing about secondary beliefs. When we really understand what it is, that it's all of us together as one big family, then that changes things, right? That means brother and sister, that means hand in hand, full of love and compassion. That's what the church is, okay? Now, how do we know that to be true, okay? Where do we get this from? And so let's start in Ephesians chapter five. Now, the apostle Paul here is actually in the middle of explaining one of these mysterious metaphors that we're gonna break down next week, okay? But within it, he makes a very clear statement around the true identity of the church. This is what he says in verse 25. Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. Christ gave himself up for her. This means that his death on the cross was for the church. Now, what do we learn in great detail throughout the rest of the New Testament? We learn that Christ died for his followers, right? Uh, John chapter 10, we talked about this a few weeks ago, uh, this idea of the good shepherd, right? That being Jesus, watch what it says. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now we learn that the sheep represent his people, right? God's children, also known as true believers, okay? So we see that direct correlation there. Here's another scripture that gives us the same indication. Hebrews chapter two, 
starting in verse 11, it says, for both he who sanctifies, which is Jesus, and those who are sanctified, all believers, are all from one father, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will proclaim your name to my brethren in the midst of the church, I will sing your praise. Okay, so let me explain this because what we see here is that Jesus considers true believers or those who are sanctified as brothers and then correlates those very people to the church, okay? So what the Bible is showing us here is that Christ died on the cross for the children of God of which he calls the church, okay? Now, again, this seems like a very, very simple concept, right? It's not very complex at all. And yet, when you think about what the word church has turned into over the course of history and why people get squirmy about it, it's kind of nice just to do a quick reset on what it actually is, right? It's very simple. It's the children of God coming together, living and serving as one big family. That's what it should look like, okay? Now, speaking of history, um, I wanna start by going through a little bit of the historical aspect of the church, just to kind of lay a foundation for us to, to build upon, okay? And it's probably not the history that you were expecting to hear around the church, but it's very important nonetheless, okay? Now, this is one of those more informative topics, but I think it's important because it shows us the deeply rooted nature of this concept of church, okay? So the first thing that we wanna look at is the church and Israel, okay? The church and Israel. Now, initially you might be thinking, what in the world are you talking about, right? How in the world does this apply to this particular topic? And it's relevant because our definition of the church just said that it constitutes all true believers for all time, for all time. Now that's an important distinction because many people would say that the church only began some 2,000 years ago on the day of Pentecost, right? When the Holy Spirit was poured out, that's when the church started. And yet how could that encompass all true believers for all time? There seems to be a discrepancy that we're running into there, okay? Now, before we jump into this, I just want to say this. There are parts of this discussion that are very hotly debated and they're not necessary to get into today. Okay, so we're gonna skip right over those. It's not important to this discussion or what the church truly is. But what is relevant is that while the New Testament church, as we know it, did start some 2000 years ago, the concept of the church began way before that through the people of Israel, okay? That's how far back this concept goes. Now, this is once again, one of the differences we see between the Old Testament and the New Testament or the Old Covenant and the new covenant, right? We see a distinction between the two, okay? Now, here's what we know about the people of Israel based off of our New Testament Bible, okay? We're gonna walk through this very practically one by one so that you can see the parallel that is consistently in play, okay? In the Old Testament, the people of Israel are called by some very interesting names, okay? Some of them seem very random, seem very odd, but they all are applied for a specific purpose, okay? So let's talk about a few of these. One of them, they're called God's chosen people, okay? The second one is they're called a kingdom of priests. And then the third one is a holy nation, okay? God's chosen people, a kingdom of priests, and a holy nation. Now, these are three names that are pretty consistently applied to the people of Israel throughout the Old Testament, okay? Now, watch what our New Testament says 
in 1 Peter chapter 2, speaking of the church. It says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Direct correlation between Old Testament Israel and the New Testament church, okay? Here's another name that is applied to Israel in the Old Testament. They are called the children of Abraham, okay? Now, this one is very logical because uh, everybody that came through Israel's line was through uh, Abraham's lineage, right? So that makes perfect sense. Watch what the New Testament says in Galatians 3.29. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to promise. Okay, Romans chapter four puts it this way, speaking of Abraham, that he might be the father of all who believe, of all who believe. That goes right back to our definition, all true believers for all time, okay? And then here's one last one. It's a really interesting one, um, but, but this is what they're called. Israel is considered an adulterous wife, okay? Now, again, very interesting. It's the first one that has kind of a negative connotation. And, and let's be honest, when you read through the Old Testament, it's kind of warranted, right? They kind of deserved that title, if we're being honest. But watch how this works in the New Covenant. Okay, Ephesians chapter five, verse 25. We read a little bit of this earlier. It says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. Not only a direct correlation in title, but through the new covenant, a new beauty and purity applied, okay? Now, if you read through Romans 11, Romans 8, Ephesians 2, you will continue to see this correlation between Israel and the church over and over again, okay? Now, you might stop me at this point and say, why does this matter, okay? Why are we even talking about this? It seems really trivial to our overall message. But here's why it's relevant, okay? Because it's important that you know that the concept of the church is not just 2,000 years old. Okay, it's important that you understand the church is not a parenthesis in the overall plan and purpose of God. Okay, but this is something that began way before that. This is something that he purposed and rolled out from the very beginning. A people who would be called his own, a a, a people who would be set apart, a people who would enjoy his presence for eternity. This is the church. And the better we understand this concept, Um, the better we understand God's plan and his overall purpose and rolling it out and the deeply rooted nature of the church, the better we will be able to carry it out today, okay? That's certainly what we want to, to do and accomplish as his people, okay? Now, one of the underlying themes to this concept that we've rolled out thus far is that if the church is all true believers for all time, how do we really know who that is? Right? How could we possibly know the true identity of who the church really is? And so this brings forth a really interesting topic that we see in scripture, which is the visible church versus the invisible church. Okay, Visible versus invisible. Now, again, this may seem odd on the surface, but it's something we see in the Bible and it's something we need to understand. Okay, So the invisible church is the true church because it constitutes the spiritual reality of those who are really gods, 
okay? This is how it's put in 2 Timothy 2.19. The Lord knows who are his. The Lord knows. So only God can see the true spiritual condition of people's hearts, right? Now we can see outward evidence of inward change, but only God can see their true spiritual state. And so this means that the church in its truest form is invisible. We can't see it. Only God knows who are truly his. And yet the church of God obviously does have a visible aspect to it, right? This is probably how most of us have viewed the church. Now, again, this deserves a distinction because when we say visible church, we're not talking about a building. We're not talking about a facility. We're talking about people who profess faith in Christ and then show evidence of that in their lives, okay? It always goes back to the people. We will reinforce that over and over again. The key, however, to the visible church is that it may not include all true believers, okay? There may be many who profess faith in Christ and yet haven't really submitted their lives to him. And in fact, in many of the letters that the apostle Paul writes, he addresses it to the church, but then also recognizes that that there may be some unbelievers within the group, okay? So he talks about people who have gone astray from the faith or have upset the faith. He understands that there may be some unbelievers in the mix. And in fact, Jesus himself speaks of this element of the church. Now we keep going back to this idea of the good shepherd and the sheep, but watch what he says in Matthew 7, 15. Jesus says, beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves, okay? So in other words, they look like a child of God, right? Everything on the outside would say that is the case, and yet something else is going on in the inside, okay? It's not what it may seem. Okay, now here's another scripture that reinforces this point. And I especially like this one because it emphasizes our uh, definition of the church. So Acts 20, starting in verse 28, it says, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Okay, so we go back to the true identity of the church. It's the people of whom he purchased with his own blood. Okay, but watch what he goes on to say. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Okay, now these are the people that from the outside appear to be the visible church and yet God knows different, right? God knows the truth. Now, there is a very delicate balance that we need to discuss between the visible and invisible church, okay? Because in order to uphold the beauty and the purpose of Christ's church, we must do our best to ensure that the visible church is the true church, okay? To the best of our ability, we must uphold that. We talk all the time about how as children of God, we must imitate him, right? We have to reflect him. We have to represent him, become more and more like him. And yet if from the outside, that's not at all what the church looks like, then that is a problem, okay? So if people claim to be a part of the church, yet treat others with disdain and and judge everybody around them and live lives that are disobedient to Christ, then the visible church is being tainted. It's being misrepresented. And, And how many times have we seen this over the course of history? How much damage has been done because of this? This is something that's important for us to talk about. And it's also the reason 
why the idea of church discipline comes about in scripture as well. Because listen, God is serious about upholding his name and his image. He is serious about it. Now, again, this is a very delicate situation as it relates to us as the church, because we want to lavish with love and with grace and with forgiveness in everything that we do, right? That is what we want to be about. We want to welcome everybody. Listen, if we push people away from getting to know Christ, there is much damage and many repercussions coming our way. We will never, ever do that. But listen, we must also be serious about upholding the beauty of Christ's church, okay? We have to be serious about it. Now, we don't do it with judgment. We don't do it with harshness. We do it with love and gentleness and compassion. But if there are wolves among the sheep, we cannot ignore it and act like everything's gonna be okay. We're just all gonna live in harmony. That's not how it works, at least according to scripture. So in order to protect the sheep, in order to maintain Christ's image, we have to understand this concept and know how to operate within it, okay? Now we will talk about church discipline much later in this series. And I'm sure you are so stoked about that. But, but um, for now, the reason I bring this up because I want you to understand the difference between the visible and invisible church, why that is necessary to talk about, and ultimately how we try to ensure that both of them are the same thing, okay? We have to make sure we are representing Christ as purely as we can, okay? That's a responsibility we must uphold as his church. All right, now here's the last thing that we'll talk about to hopefully further enhance our idea of what the church is, and that is the local church and the universal church. Okay, local and universal. Now, this is something we've already kind of touched on at the surface, okay? We talked about how the church is made up of all true believers, which constitutes the universal all-encompassing church. And yet, obviously, we know there is a local church, right? You're sitting within one of those. And so it's important to understand the distinction between those and how they apply to our situation, okay? Now, the Apostle Paul was the most prominent in bringing this concept to light. Uh, he talked about it very consistently throughout his writings. And so let's start in Romans chapter 16, uh, verse 3. He says, Greet Prisca, or Priscilla, and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who for my life risked their own necks, to whom not only do I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles, also greet the church that is in their house. So this is interesting because we see a reference here to multiple local churches amongst the Gentiles and then even another separate one that is apparently taking place in a house. Okay, so we see this distinction in play. And in fact, in several of the letters that the apostle Paul writes, he actually is writing specifically to a local congregation, right? He'll say to the church of God in Corinth, or, or to the church of the Thessalonians. So we see that distinction there. And it gets even more interesting because as you read through those, you'll notice that there are times where he's writing specifically to that local congregation about where they might be messing up, right? Some of the mistakes that they might specifically be making. And so we just continue to see this distinction in play. Now, why is it set up this way? Why do we have the local church, when it seems like it might just be easier to keep it universal, right? Why, why is this even something that we have to talk about? And I would answer that very simply and very practically, okay? I would say 
well, why are there millions of McDonald's locations all across the world? Well, why is there a subway in every neighborhood across the world? And it's very simple because you want it to be available where the people are hungry, right? You want it to be convenient for the people to access. That's why. Now, I hesitate strongly to make that comparison because we're talking about the church of Jesus Christ. We're talking about a special, unique design that he created for a purpose. And so I don't want to taint that with a lazy comparison, but I think this could do good for our perspective around the local church. And so if we just continue down that road just for a second, when you go to a place like McDonald's or like Subway, which is certainly universal, right? You're gonna experience a very similar thing, right? Very similar food, very similar feeling. And yet at the same time, each individual store is a little different, right? Some have uh, different cultures, some have a different guest experience, right? You never know what you're gonna get based off of the store that you're in. And in the same way, local gatherings have their purpose. Now it must be the same meal. It must be the same heart. It must be the same principles, but it might be a little different culture. There might be different conduits to, to introduce to Christ and to get to know him. And this is the cool thing about this is that should open up our minds to the different ways that churches operate, right? Now listen, the message should be the same. The, the doctrine must be sound. The love must be present. But if some people like to worship differently, that's okay. If some people like different music, that's okay. If some people like their messages a certain way, that's okay. Not only is it okay, it's purposeful. When we talk about worship and the preaching of the gospel and fellowship, it should be diverse so that it's open and enticing to all of us. There is great, great diversity in the family of God and that should be celebrated, not frowned upon. But we must never forget that at the same time, we are all a part of the universal church. And as I touched on earlier, in many, many cases, this is where we have erred over the church history. Because instead of diversity, it's turned into division, right? It's turned into to dissension. And the word of God could not be more clear when it comes to what the universal church should look like. It could not be more clear. This is what Ephesians 4, starting in verse one says, therefore I implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love and being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. This is really cool. Watch how verse four starts. There is one body. There is one body. That's what the universal church must look like. And despite what has happened over the course of history, despite what has been seen in the past, this must be what we strive for. We have to be a united people full of love and diversity who don't get caught up in the tiny points of dissension, but we put our focus on the beauty of the church. We put our focus on the hope of the future that we have together in Christ. That's what we're focused on. There is no division in the true family of God. There is one Lord. There is one faith. This is the church. This is what it looks like. This is the body. We have to cling to this. We have to soak these things in to make sure that not only we understand them, but that we're playing them out in how we operate. 
and how we move and how we understand our purpose. These things are important for us to accomplish what God has put us here to accomplish.